Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED, Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, everybody. Hi, Trace and Corey. How are you for episode 15? Woohoo, episode 15. Um, yes, going well. You, Trace? Yeah, 15 is a good number. <laughs> it is. We're halfway to 30, guys. We will make it to 30. Yeah. <laughs> and I am 30 this year, so we will make it. <laughs> and I'm going to be 60 this year, so double it. Woo-hoo. there we go that's the challenge laid down we've got to get to six michelle wait wait we have to mention this michelle has covid and she's still recording today's episode that's how dedicated she is to all of the spirited conversation potties out there oh do you know what i'm kind of over the worst of it and because um because Corey's moved we had to record separately anyway so it's uh been fortuitous that I got COVID uh, at this time and I'm a few days past the worst of it and I love you guys so I couldn't say no to the opportunity plus our schedules are full on so we have to grab time and make the most of it when we can so sorry if I'm a little nasally today it's been interesting that in our personal lives and our work lives that this issue of rhythms and routines and I guess performance and well-being regulation all these issues are coming up for us professionally as well as personally because we've all got ourselves a bit (laughs) uh, chock-a-block at the moment so that is going to be the topic of our conversation today. Uh, Corey's got a particular interest because what's the thing that's butted into your rhythm and routine Corey? She's arrived. Yes. I didn't have a baby at the end of the last episode and now I do. And she is already four and a half months old. Wow. Yeah. I I think I was two months in roughly and I sent both of you guys a message and was like, can we please talk about rhythm and routine? <laughs> because I'm going crazy with a newborn and how, not crazy, but it's just so much change and I just couldn't believe how much it affected me as an adult not having predictability. (laughs) It's just like, okay, how do I get calm so I can calm down my baby? (laughs) And I obviously it relates to treatment too, but now it's just the difference of two months to four months is pretty amazing even how much more you can predict things and start to figure things out. But yeah, it was was pretty uh, interesting time, very interesting in those first two months just trying to find some semblance of normal so I am very keen to chat about rhythm and predictability and I guess we'll pull in relationship in amongst that because that has a big impact and then regulation for the child for the adult for everybody (laughs) what do you think Tracy well I think that it makes me think of two things first of all I think that whenever there's a disruption to your routines and your predictability, you don't ever really realize it until it's disrupted, how much it creates the background beat around how we all kind of live our lives and are able to find wholeness and wellness because we have that stability that comes from predictability. So when it's challenged, it becomes ever so evident and clear and like right in front of you. And it's also a funny thing that I want to tie it in a funny way right now to the Step SI tool because when we were developing the Step SI tool, we did this process where we analyzed our treatment sessions. And there was this really undercurrent of predictability that none of us were naming for quite a while. But then we would watch each other's treatment sessions one after the other after the other. And what we realized, especially for more senior clinicians, was that there was this super intentional way of starting and stopping sessions. This really, really obvious emphasis on predictability, but none of us were naming it. 
And what happened was that we watched so many different sessions, one after the other after the other, and we really, it jumped out at us. And we were like, you know, the way that you do shoes is the same every time with that child. And it's different with this child, but it's clearly intentional. Mm -hmm. And it's different with this child, how you come and go with the parent, but it's really clear. And all of a sudden, it was like, wait, predictability. Mm -hmm. Once we named that element, it just took on a bigger life than any of us ever knew. And and in our tradition as occupational therapists, you know, the notion of predictability and routines is really inherent to our practice, mm. but we forget about it. Mm. And so we forget about it in our lives <laughs> until the baby is born. And we forget about it in our treatment planning until it becomes so central as a cornerstone of the way your rhythm of your life lives. So anyway, I just thought that's the frame of what we're going to talk about, both what is this? How does it function in our lives? Why is it so important? And then how do we harness it for the really significant role that it plays in overall adaptive capacity Mm. and the way that we just live our lives? Mm. And in the COVID era, in the upside down world that I live in in the United States where People have lost their minds, literally, and I might be going out on a limb here, but our culture is upside down. And every single day, we have more families and more children in crisis, and the the answer is often in relationship and predictability Mm -hmm. before we go to anything else. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it's really important that we're talking about this and that we start to find some mindfulness about it. Um, And so not to lay a heavy note here, but man alive, we all just need to hunker down a little bit. I think there's this shared sense of um, between us and listeners and in our own context, you know, countries across the world, there's things you know, I don't want to get political, but there's lots going on to have disrupted even our values and our principles. I'm wondering about the neuroscience. I'm wondering, wondering about evolution and survival. <laughs> We're going big here, aren't we? <laughs> but I'm wondering about it from a neuroscience point of view. It feels like the purpose of rhythms and routine aids regulation and that perhaps that's around us being in um, some kind of internal synchrony or um, energy consumption and use. Do we want rhythms internally so that we've got some energy to expand when things are disrupted or we need to survive, I guess? Oh, I said lots in that. Does any of that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I, you know, it, I think you can look at how the nervous system actually establishes every single function off of rhythm. Mm. So there's a rhythm of the cranial sacral pulse. There's a rhythm of um, your breath. There's a rhythm of the in and out exchange that happens at every single level. And all of those rhythms, cellular rhythms, rhythms of um, exchange, they all have to really find calibration. And the missignaling of that tips the nervous system out of a place of safety mm-hmm. and really into a place of activation or deactivation relative to that safety. So that, in a way, is a reflection also of polyvagal theory, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. if we're not in a state of safety that our nervous system has to mobilize resources to survive. And there is this really primitive quality that happens. So if your rhythms, if your actual internal rhythms are Mm. out of sync, if you get out of sleep synchrony, Mm. if you, um, and that's what happens with a baby, right, Corey? Mm. You're totally out of sleep synchrony. It's such a window into understanding how primitive having established circadian and diurnal and ultradian rhythms is. And those are rhythms that operate off of the basic rhythm of how each of our organisms are working. So when those rhythms get out of sync, then all of the rhythms are out of sync. And the Mm. out of sync state doesn't allow you 
to establish your foundation of where am I operating from. So we could talk about all of the different levels of where I'm operating from in my base of support and how sensory discrimination and posture and all these different functions fuel that. But for today, we really want to think about those rhythms and how rhythms create predictability. And there's on a really foundational level that's critically important to the nervous system. But then in in the day-to-day life, it's important to mm. our wellness. And when people are out of sync and they don't have rhythm and mm. they don't have predictability, you feel it in the vibe of the interaction. You feel it in the tension. You feel it in the tension patterns of the quality of the interactions. And you see people going to these really intense, primitive ways of interacting and ways of controlling You know, your sense of control can be released when you're in a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. When you don't have control and you don't have safety, you get really, really intense, unusual behaviors. And so, you know, we could talk about this on a very, like, intense cultural level, but Mm -hmm. I think to land it, you know, Corey, it'd be really interesting (laughs) Just from your your new motherhood perspective about how that set, you start to lose a sense of control when you don't have rhythms and yep. and what that does in terms of revealing all kinds of <laughs> qualities of your own self of your relationship. I mean, this is really like a critical period of of learning about about it. So yeah, share a little bit about that. Yes, uh, and I I think that's why I said crazy making at the start, right? And not because <laughs> my baby is crazy making. My baby is beautiful, but it's the change and the disruption and the unknown, the lack of control. And of course, I'm first time mom. So that's, again, a different experience to somebody who's having their second or third child, because there is a level of knowing every baby is different, but you know what it's like to have a baby. So I guess in that first period, it seems crazy because I'm a pediatric OT, but I didn't know anything about um, wake windows or I don't know, how long are they supposed to sleep? You're learning all these things as you go along. And you were talking about circadian rhythms and ultradian rhythms and all of that, Tracy, and it's not like your newborn automatically comes with a circadian rhythm of night and day. And so you don't even have the guarantee of they're going to sleep at nighttime. <laughs> and your brain is like so out of whack just by the fact that you're awake at nighttime. And just that predictability of the sun. You can't even count on that for your baby to go in time with the sun. It's really funny because as soon as I added in just a sleep time routine and it was not even, it was not elaborate. It was bath before that's that final put down even if it's only going to be two hours but then as that became a thing of predictability for me it became a thing of predictability for her too and so then it was bath and then feed and then massage and then bed and then bath and feed then massage then book then bed you know so and as that became a thing my ability to feel a little bit more relaxed or in control or not even, I don't know, just regulated in myself because I had a plan or I had a a routine that gave me predictability. didn't necessarily do anything for her for a while, but it changed, you know what I mean? But Mm. it changed it for me because it was like, okay, now I I have a plan. So I feel like this is better. (laughs) Um, And now it's like, the funnest time for her she is so excited for this routine and rhythm to happen because she's so familiar and so predictable and it's just it was so clearly helpful and it took time the first time I did it I was like well that was a waste of time I don't know why you know (laughs) um but it because she just got cranky straight away because she's a newborn, you know, and it was like, it just put me to sleep. But yeah, now a couple months later, it's like so helpful for her and for me. So that was the the key part was it's not just about the child, but the adult, even in, if you were in treatment, how, how that helps us stay organized, calm, regulated as an anchor for the person that we're trying to help. Yeah. Absolutely. And so as a pediatric OT, there was something that you knew that if you stuck with this, if you established the routine and you repeated the routine, that 
your little darling would come to understand it, right? Yeah. And so you had a clear sense of this will be helpful and you could commit to it. And, you know, I think that that is a lesson that we can apply to every single child that we treat, whether they're, you know, two-year-olds or two-month-olds or... Like today, I did a consultation for a 32-year-old who has a lifelong cognitive difficulty, but they forgot about adhering to routines and rhythms. And it led to all kinds of disruption in daily life function. And so over and over again, we come back to this exact rule of thumb, the predictability and what does it mean and what does routine mean? It's profound. It's simple. It's one of those places where OT sometimes seems almost like common sense, but it's not. Yeah. It's so much deeper and more profound than that. And routines and predictability certainly reveal how it's not common sense. It's easy to forget. And it's just foundational to well-being. Mm. I have a question, if Michelle doesn't have a question. I've got lots, but you go first. Are you sure? <laughs> you go um in terms of the neurologically when we we receive rhythm to the nervous system how is is just is that we just wired to want rhythm in our like can you just sort of walk us through neurologically how rhythm impacts our nervous system or is that just too complicated for a simple discussion i think on on some really basic levels i you know i can and then we'll kind of let it not go too far into the weeds in our conversation, but it's a interesting thing that rhythm is partly established through the vestibular apparatus. The vestibular system helps to catch and entrain rhythms, and it helps to set the tone for rhythms. And in fact, some of the sleep and wake cycles actually emanate out of. They, they're polysensory where they emanate from, but they partly emanate from this basics. They can entrain to the system because of the vestibular function. The vestibular auditory connection that also establishes entrainment is important to acknowledge because it's a partnership there. Weirdly, even in utero, but light also plays a really important role in establishing the sleep and wake cycles. The level of light exposure and dark exposure there's a particular receptors that are actually in the periphery of the body but then that fuel information so it's not just through the visual system but it assimilates into a nucleus we don't have to talk about brain parts but it assimilates and then allows for the kind of establishment of those circadian rhythms so those are those are polysensory in nature, but it's also based on activity, right? So we know that we have waxing and waning levels of intensity and activity that happen throughout the day. And so you're quieter and more and stiller. And the baby's been used to that in utero, right? That I have movement for these hours and I have quieting for these hours. And so movement itself is also vestibularly mediated. And so all of that really does tell us that underneath all of this, that there is a basic vestibular function. But then the nervous system is um, supported by a fluid system that's also moving in rhythm. And so that fluid system that surrounds our nervous system, that surrounds our spinal column, that also moves in a rhythm. And so you can establish rhythmicity in the cranial sacral system you can establish rhythmicity then in the respiratory you know uh, system and in the cardiac system so all of those basic physiological systems are deriving information from rhythm but those are also fueled back from the basic regulatory functions of the polyvagal system, for instance. And so if that system is signaling you should be heightened, then it'll override anything else. And so you can't get into a normal sleep-wake cycle if that system is is signaling you, no, 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 you can't rest. You need Mm -hmm. to be in activation. You need to protect yourself. 
And so these systems are not hierarchical fully, and they're not linear or sequential in how they fire. They work together as a whole gestalt. And so when you have disruption in things like sleep, that's why sleep is so complex to try to understand, because it's not one thing that disrupts sleep. It's any and all of what we've just talked about. And when you have people who have disruption in other kinds of rhythms, like think about people who have unusual prosody, and they have a really unusual way of interacting with you that isn't in rhythm. Sometimes that issue isn't necessarily in their language system or in their social interaction. It can go all the way down to a really basic level of the, of regulation or even into the vestibular mm. function. So, yeah, there's lots mm. to talk about there. Um, does that kind of start to get at your question, Corey? Yeah, Michelle, you, I'm sure you have stuff to ask. I'll let you. <laughs> the next nice turn taking, nice rhythm, Corey. <laughs> um, I was wondering about, you know, we're talking about babies in utero. And uh, I see that some people, I guess there's a, um, my question is, is there a universality in humans to seek out or respond to rhythm in the same way? I guess working with kids um, that are not neurotypical, whether that's from a profile like ASD or ADHD or, or perhaps environmental trauma, Sometimes there feels like it's harder for those bodies to sync up in a rhythm or, or to hold on to a rhythm and that I just kind of trust and know that there is a, or an impact of rhythm that we should keep going for. Do we all, is it universal, this, this concept of rhythm that's adaptive, even though some profiles um, might resist it or find it harder to sink into? Yeah, absolutely. So universally, all beings have this organization that happens off of rhythm. So you can look at rhythm studies that go down to single cell organisms and that go Mm -hmm. all the way through the most complex organisms, which may not be humans, given the way that humans are operating (laughs) on the planet right now. Might be elephants. (laughs) Yeah, so that's exactly right. It could be... Yeah, maybe it's even an amoeba is higher than us, given how we've been operating lately. But, um, you know, clearly being off of rhythm is making me a little cynical, but there you have it. (laughs) That's as cynical as you'll get from Tracy. That's pretty pretty good. Tracy unguarded, uh, episode 15. Tracy unhinged. Unguarded. Yeah, so, you know, at at every level, what's interesting about the nervous system of even a single-celled organism, or like a very primitive organism, is that there is a quality of the nervous system being a match-mismatch machine, basically, right? Mm. So people who are, like, really into coding kind of love that about the nervous system because it's like, does it match, does it mismatch? And so if you take match-mismatch... That's rhythm seeking, right? Mm -hmm. It's looking for the Mm -hmm. pattern. And so if the pattern makes sense because it matches and it entrains easily, that's awesome. And if it entrains more in a more complex way, then that adds a level of challenge. So when you're with a child who isn't processing easily, one of the things that we do is that we super intentionally bring our interaction to more predictable rhythmicity. The way we move, the way we breathe, the way we talk, the way we parse our language, all of that becomes far more predictable. If you and I are just talking to each other without thinking about our rhythm, we talk off of rhythm. So the normal human speech patterns of of adults, even of even of kids who have sophisticated language that's, you know, more complex sentence structure, the interaction is arrhythmic. And we can weather that. And in fact, it allows us to keep each other's attention. It keeps us kind Mm. of zhuzhed up. It keeps us affectively connected because we're, the unpredictability of that is what is so interesting and fun and, and, Mm. and compelling. Mm. But 
when we start to lose each other, what we all do is we pause and we bring the rhythm back down and we reconnect around the rhythm of the exchange. And we remember that there's an exchange happening and that this is about reciprocity and that there should be a one-to-one or something like that ratio. And when you leave a social interaction, if the ratio has gotten really out of sync, you notice it. You're like, oh, hmm, that person didn't allow me into the conversation or that exchange felt out of balance somehow, right? (laughs) So it's all about rhythm and predictability. And then it's about the lack of rhythm and predictability that brings about the cool, interesting quality. So for somebody who's struggling to process information, finding a way to insert predictability and keep it steady, but then keep it novel and interesting Mm. enough with a rhythm Mm. is equally important. And when you are working, like I think about a couple of kiddos that I have treated over the years where I can really tell if I'm losing them, if they start to get too rhythmic and pedantic in their speech Versus if I kind of scaffold them a little bit and allow more freedom, and then it comes back. Mm. So those are really interesting qualities to pay attention to. Um, yeah. What What yeah. do you mean you start to lose them if they get too... Do you mean they're trying to maintain the regulation when they become really rigid in their... Like, like can you give an example or no? Like, I don't know. Yeah, totally. So you might see more specific, precise language use, where there's an overemphasis on rhythm. Um, You might see the opposite of that, depending on the individual. You might see more perseveration or getting a little bit stuck on an anchor point. I need that anchor point to help assist me as I'm moving through this processing and this conversation. Mm. So yeah, you'll notice it. And what you notice in yourself is maybe a pull to compassion, a pull to frustration, a pull to curiosity, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever it is, but it's going to be affective. It's going right. to have an, a tone to it that kind of triggers to you. Hmm. Hmm. We're, we're not quite in sync yeah. with each other right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to think of an example, like in a session, I'll be playing something and suddenly I've, I'm like, Oh, we're not on the same page like that that feeling of the child then is just I don't want to say perseverated but they've gone back to their familiar or they're really stuck on um something so is that kind of what you're talking about in terms of rhythm in the interaction because there's I mean there's rhythm in so many things yeah so that would be rhythm in the interaction for instance or it could be maybe your it's rhythm in the interaction and also in the action pattern itself Mm -hmm. right not just in the speech pattern But it could be I'm with this child and we're jumping on the trampoline and then I see that they lose their rhythm and they can't maintain the bilateral vertical acceleration or something like that. And you can think about that as, oh, maybe they lost their postural control. Maybe they lost their stability. But did that happen because they lost their rhythm? Mm. And did the rhythm signal get lost because of something? So I think it very often tags back to rhythmicity. And then how you reestablish that is actually through offering predictability cues, right? Through making sure that they're getting like the, oh, here's how I reestablish my jump. And so predictability and rhythm are cornerstones to learning how to observe what's happening for the individual and also to offering the right scaffolding and support as a path forward. So I'm wondering then about if we're talking about these kiddos that get a little stuck or a little sticky in sessions, sometimes you catch it in the moment in session and you realize and you change what you're doing and you increase predictability or you offer something familiar, which I guess is predictability, right? And that allows them to become adaptive and then shift forward. And sometimes you don't catch it. And so you just have a really hard session and, um, and it feels really uncomfortable. And then you come out of the session going, that was terrible and I'm sure there's probably 
plenty of good moments in the session, but you know, as the treating clinician, you're always pretty critical around how it feels and how it went. But yeah, so I'm thinking about when you come out of sessions like that and you realize you reflect on the session, usually you go and talk to your teammates about it and you go, that was terrible. And then they help you sort of parcel it out. I'm thinking about ways you could increase predictability if you're coming across sessions like that. These concepts are really supposed to be common sense, but you forget, you don't think about it as the go-to. You think, oh, how could I change the activity? The activity that I was doing is whatever. Instead, I wonder if we can help people wonder about increasing predictability for some of those sticky kids and ways that we've done that or ways that you could think about it in relationship, but also just in the whole gestalt of the session. So the start, the end, the middle, the way that you come into session, all those sorts of things. So one example for me is there is a child that if I change up too much, even changing my glasses, it's really upsetting for her and she will swear at me. (laughs) She will let me know. You know, it's just F, 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 F. As soon as she comes into the session, if there's one thing that might be a little upsetting, right? And that is so clearly a teachable moment for me as a therapist that I will then for that child do the same entry into the session every time. I'll stand in the same place. I'll have the same language. I'll I'll just do the same thing every time. And just having that has allowed for things like glasses changes. Those sorts of things then just be okay because there's a level of predictability in other places. I don't know, Michelle, have you thought about ways you've done that or kids that have struggled with that? Or Yeah, I guess I just really think about that in terms of the child's presentation or individual capacity for predictability. Some of the kids I work with that probably are at a higher functioning don't need that level of capacity, you know, that, that help and you have this real, you don't even really think about it. You can come in and you take your shoes off in the waiting room versus you know, the specific spot that you might always sit and talk. So that's just one of the things I guess I'm paying attention to when they come in because some you're needing to really layer on the predictability in terms of our tone, you know, as you said, the glasses, all those practical components of where we sit and how we start and even, you know, how we refer to particular pieces of equipment. Some kids make their own names up for the equipment and they want you to keep hanging on to that name or that, which, you know, is really tricky when you treat a lot of kids to remember their particular name for a particular <laughs> equipment. Yeah, so so some you, you have to, they require you to pay attention to all the elements, I guess, the sensory component, our look, our speech patterns, our body position, how whether I actually get on the equipment first and demonstrate it versus they get on first. So sometimes I absolutely have to micromanage everything, really all the components or all the elements, you know, that we go through with the step SI. Other times I might alter some of the components so we come in the same I'll enter the same the same language but the challenge is I want to help you be more flexible or manage the unpredictable because life as we're in the midst of it right now is unpredictable so it's like you know what I actually need to help you regulate through things that are unpredictable and aren't lining up But I guess the first steps is to line up predictability to ensure trust and safety and regulation. And then I can add the challenge on, you know, and I guess it's the clinical reasoning process to work out which thing do they manage uh, or stay regulated or or comes easier to regulate when you change. And maybe it's Corey's glasses (laughs) and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the name of the equipment that I forget each week just as a little challenge for them. But, um, yeah, but I, I think it's it's a, through Tracy's mentorship and the use of the Step SI, predictability is one of the dimensions that I'm kind of assessing the need for for a child and then constantly really adapting which bits. Because sometimes it could be just... Yeah. That they need us to be predictable, but all the yeah. rest of it 
can just the equipment, go. This, what room they're in, what glasses you're wearing, you know, I'm changing hair colour, yeah. you know, all of that stuff they can cope as long as I'm all carer is, is predictable than the rest of it fluid for them. But yeah. yeah. So there's, I guess there's the predictability in the environment. So in the clinic itself, like even we as therapists, when the clinic mm. is a mess, you come into that treatment space and like, you know, the previous <laughs> session has been hard, obviously, and stuff's kind of been, it's a little bit chaotic. It already elevates you as a therapist slightly because you're like, I just need to be able to find the thing that I want to find when I need it. So if, you know, if I need the brush, I need it to, I need to know, I need to know it's there that I can find it when I need it because I need to not think about all the equipment being in the right place because I need to think about the child, right? And so it's funny because that just the environmental predictability, we, I mean, we've had many evolutions in our clinic around putting up visuals for us <laughs> as therapists because it's like, guys, put it back in the right spot, right? It's not even, and I'm not even like that in my real life, but in the treatment space, I need it to kind of be in the same place and I need it not to be super cluttered and maybe that's just me. But I... I don't, I, I find it really hard if I'm trying to find the thing that I want and I have to disconnect from the child and then pay attention to, I need to find the equipment is or whatever. So there's that environmental predictability. And that's, I guess that's the same for the kids. And sometimes that's just our preparation and claiming the space or whatever it is, because I level out, here we go, everybody. I level the blinds. We've got two blinds, like a dark one and a light one. <laughs> I have to have them even and there's nothing about, <laughs> nothing useful or practical. It's just like, okay, as I'm in the room and I'm kind of thinking about the client, I level up the windows so that everybody just knows. And that's your routine, right? So <laughs> that's like a routine of setting up for a session. So yeah. if if um if you didn't have that routine in place, if you'd feel a little, there's a level of like unsafetyness. I'm not saying you need that. You're not OCD. You don't need the blinds to be exactly whatever. But <laughs> having the routine in place is really helpful for setting you up to be ready for yeah. the child or the family or whatever yeah and uh, that's like me I need I need the environmental piece set up mm. so that I can take that out of my load to be present right, right. and your client mm. needs your glasses to be the same so that it can free her up to be present for yeah. whatever the challenge is that's coming yeah. along yeah. right yeah so on your your spirit model Tracy it's that whole classic attain versus maintain so in the model Tracy's got a piece that you think about what is the child are you attaining regulation are you maintaining it or are you challenging it and so that's kind of a continuum and you can move back and forward but if if I have a child where I'm, I haven't even attained regulation and this is where the rhythm and regulation and routine piece comes in so strongly for me is that I can attain it so much more easily. That means I can push to the other end much quicker or not me push, but there's just they can move to challenging it without me even having to do too much because like you said Michelle life is like just hard there's so many things we can't control that if I can get to a place where I've attained it and it's kind of robust then naturally they kind of want it Mm. um so it's just hard because like again we're dancing around that edge as a therapist of how much do I push and how much do I support to allow because for some kids it feels like it's just slower right so they just need so much more predictability rhythm routine they can mm-hmm. still only attain it for such a short time it's mm-hmm. and I, there was a comment earlier michelle you said um some profiles there's like a uh, a resistance or it's a harder I, i'm i'm not sure mm-hmm. i'm wondering if it's more about i don't know you can clarify what you were, you were thinking but do you feel like instead of a, a resistance it's almost a um it requires more nuance from us to find their rhythm. It's it's mm. almost just like their rhythm is. What do you uh, do? You like do you know what I mean? I don't know. Mm. I um, I was just thinking really about profiles and that some kids that are more activated and on the go, 
the predictability or the routine has to be faster and kind of fluid and there needs sometimes to be a novelty mm. to that versus kids that perhaps have a, haven't got that really strong sense of safety and a wide you know, window of tolerance, then they predictability is going to look a lot slower and steady and purposeful and, and nuanced, I guess, than an on-the-go profile. They, the, the need is still the same, but it just looks so much different. Yeah. Are you meaning like to match certain states or maybe to, to match a child's individual nervous system, you're going to have to change up the way you use predictability, I guess? Yes. And, and whether they've got a a defensive, you know, a, a state. I'm working with some cherubs now that are really low developmental capacity level and they're really getting moments of regulation and stillness and, you know, they've got a more defensive withdrawal profile. So that is really gentle work and I have to give lots and lots and lots of thought to every layer, I guess, um, of thing that I can make predictable and rhythmical. Mm versus kids that have more of an approach mobilized profile i'm still trying to get rhythm in you know but it just feels a lot different i'm trying to slow them down almost or sync with them oh i totally i totally know what you mean yeah yeah because like tracy was saying earlier the novelty of the conversation can catch us right it's the end the conversation is arrhythmical it's not and i was thinking about university <laughs> lecturers that are monotonous right and you just you no matter how interested you are you end up falling asleep and I'm not picking on university lectures there's plenty of you know it's just people anybody who speaks with a lack of that arrhythmicity in their delivery makes you almost go to sleep because it's so it's so rhythmical that you just you can't even stay with it if you wanted to so for those kids that are a bit need a bit more Michelle that's I feel like that's where you're that's what you're trying to name there is you're not going to make it Mm. so purposely Mm. rhythmical for those kids because you would lose them (laughs) this is boring I need novelty yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it's so true so you know we have to tune in a tune to their rhythm that regulates them and their rhythm that keeps them engaged. And so you're always working at those levels of engagement, Mm -hmm. regulation to support engagement, regulation to support engagement, and understanding that, you know, in the spirit model, we talk about kind of the low route and the high routes of these sensory and affective and motor functions. But I'm aware that predictability and rhythm also have kind of a low route and a high route. And Mm -hmm. as you think about flexibility derives from predictability and predictability really is in the lowest routes it's in the basic vestibular processing in both discrimination and modulation flavors if you will and flexibility is really this high level skill that derives out of all of the rest of it so we have to give predictability for the purpose of this high level a rhythm we have to give rhythm to get allow for a rhythm and that you know high level social interaction high level complex problem solving high level language interaction that all happens arrhythmically but you can't get there if you don't know what the base of predictability is that's underneath it so we have to figure out how to attune to the, the rhythm, and then we have to attune to the arhythm. And we have to help kids and parents find synchrony in their interactions so that when I do something rhythmic to ground you and then I do something arhythmic to help you find laughter, that I don't get out of sync myself in the way I interact with you because I so crave for that a rhythm that I forget about the rhythm Mm. and sometimes we're coaching ourselves around that but often we're coaching parents or or educators around a basic rhythmicity and then embedding that in in our relationships embedding that in the routines and and rhythms and predictabilities of patterns of the day yeah it's really really a powerful concept we are helping 
ourselves, we're helping parents, we're helping educators to see the value in rhythm and predictability and routine. And I guess that we can be looking at that across the whole course of the day or we can be looking at that in a moment. And I, I know that when with a newborn and it's chaos and it's hard and you're in the midst of it and you're sleep deprived and whatever, I'm sure that's plenty of parents out there and people, it's tricky to, to think to tackle it all at once. So I wonder if people can sort of think about moments or particular times where it's more readily available to them to, to implement a, a routine or a rhythm or something. I don't know. It's just, it can be tricky to go, okay, I'm going to do a whole sensory diet. And I, I love the sensory diets, but you, I just know the load can be hard for people unless you're already in a good place to then take on that extra process where I'm thinking about something every two hours and I'm doing that. But just, and I mean, that in itself would be so predictable and so helpful for so many nervous systems. I think that's why it's such a powerful tool um, when you can do it and, and implement it really nicely. And I know there's some very dedicated parents out listening to <laughs> these conversations as well. So I guess if you're thinking about just a time period that you can pick to put in and establish a rhythm routine, but yeah, I mean, in sessions... Like you said, Michelle, it just depends on the child that's in front of you. But I usually think about the big key parts I think about usually are the start and the end. They're the big pieces that I, I start to be more, more cognizant of. If they don't look like they're able to, I don't know, engage or be adaptive, then I'm thinking about especially if they're having hard transitions out. Then I'm always like, okay, how do I increase the predictability around the fact that we're transitioning? Which is almost like um, what we're doing, why you chose to do a night time. I guess I start to think about it is what's most critical for this little family or this little kid. And mostly it's sleep. And yeah. also, I guess, relationally, it's a repair. And so, at night, you know, often I do start with that nighttime routine because it sets everybody up, ideally, for a good, you know, sleep hygiene, good sleep. And we all know everything starts with a good <laughs> night. And then sometimes, particularly families are pretty busy. There's kids going preschool, school, work, you know, both carers work, that it's that morning that's really. I want to do with the most flow and least resistance, kind of from a practical point of view, that all the clothes are lined out, but also relationally so that kids aren't landing at the place there that's going to be most demanding, that is school or preschool and mum and dad at work, carers at work, that that's been taken care with the minimum of energy and conflict and relational breakdown so that they're ready to do the work that's really important. And I guess the same in the clinic that we're setting up the start and I guess the finished in part because it's it's the bookends that we want to take care of so that we can do the, the work in the middle that we need to. And sometimes we're doing that with an emphasis on the environment, which we talked about before, but sometimes it's relational and it might be that you, you're doing some meet and greet in the waiting room and, you know, the ones that are tucking in underneath mum's wing and they're not quite sure about you, you know, that you're actually helping add predictability to the handing over or, or joining in relationships so that you can lead the session a little bit more. In sessions, I guess I'm trying to focus on a predictable start and stop, you know, start the uh, um, session, stop the session, but also that multiple times throughout the session. How do I start and stop an activity? How do I start and stop the relationship? And if things go awry, how do I repair that from from a tough, point of view like how do we problem solve and repair a task but how do I do that relationally as well so how can I add predictability to a a repair and an an approach yeah so I always start with that I guess I layer on the sensory component after all of those kind of I call them firm foundations Mm. but after some of those bits are bedded down and everybody's got a little bit of energy to think about something else that's when I feel like oh and let's add some sensory input you know sometimes it's critical to helping with that flow 
but other times it can be another job for carers to do that it's like, oh, let's just get yeah. some other things sorted first. Yeah, and probably there's also a quality within there of prioritising the predictability, mm. pr- prioritising the routine, but then pretty naturally you do add rhythm. So yeah. it's interesting how these three bits mm. go together. So. Mm. Even if you're thinking about the starting and the stopping, you probably are enhancing rhythm just a little bit. You might use a little bit more of a anticipatory cue with your voice, like a one, two, three, like Mm, here we go, ready, set, okay, it's coming to a Mm. beginning, it's coming to an end. Mm. And that anticipatory cueing and that preparing the system for a shift and a change is all part of rhythm. It's all encoded through rhythm. Mm. And our routines kind of come from rhythmicity. So I think we enhance that. And then, you know, if we really are mindful about how we're layering those pieces together, kids can start to make sense of what's happening. Just like Audrey makes sense of, oh, it's bedtime now, Mom, and I'm getting that. I totally Mm. get it. Um, It's time for nursing now. It's time for a a a diaper change it's time for us to have that back and forth funny laughing that we do it's time for whatever and it all comes from rhythmic cueing and then those turn into predictable patterns that become routines and so we can use that as the scaffold for all kinds of things and and scaffolding that not just for a four-month-old but You know, a 40-year-old who has a new job at a new pizza parlor and we have to establish predictable routines and those are going to come from rhythm. So, yeah, it, it translates across our whole lifespan. Yeah, Michelle, you you were mentioning adding sensation after the fact you've sort of established those firm foundations with parents. I I wanted to make that clear. I feel like you were meaning when you're working with parents or with educators, you start with the firm foundations, which is looking at the rhythms over the course of the day and establishing those really good routines. Mm. And then you sort of, once you've got those foundations in place, you then are hoping to then add in all the layers that you know around sensation and maybe a sensory diet or those pieces once you've got those other parts established. Is that what you were meaning? In that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some kiddos, sometimes the foundation is sensation that, add, you know, helps with that regulation yeah. and predictability and relational development. But other times I kind of meet with some families that add a, as a whole system or a whole family unit, there just feels a little bit of chaos and it feels like, you know what, this is just going to be another thing that doesn't land on a solid base if I'm just going to get them to do some firm hugs or deep breaths. So, yeah, that, that really is what I'm thinking about when I'm coaching families about use of rhythm and routines at home. Yeah, but in the clinic, not so much. Obviously, relationally and from a movement and sensation perspective, they're really foundational. You know, even how you'll say hello and how you'll approach a child, the movement I use, porosity of my voice, how loud or soft I am, whether I even talk. Mm. I guess it's just so integral to our treatment that we are thinking about what sensory motor inputs am I providing to that child and what does it do for them is it supportive for them or not yeah yeah look you're you beautifully weave sensory motor inputs into your interventions you know I've seen you with your nursery rhymes and anyway talk about that Corey like how do you think of sensation in intervention oh just similar to you right you you have your bookends if you've kind of got that established you can really dive into the weeds of your session each moment how are you either offering something that's familiar and predictable Mm. or novelty that's in so many things, right? That's either in the activity. Am I doing something that's familiar and the same or am I doing something that's new? That's in the interaction. Am I doing the same song or am I giving the similar face or same start to the way we interact or am I doing it differently? It's in the, the movement and the way that you play. So if I have a 
kiddo that's having a hard time in terms of in session if they are really dysregulated for whatever reason you know maybe the toy that they wanted wasn't in the room and that's just the end of their ability to stay in a regulated place that's nothing you've done right but you have to support them to get back to a place where you can move forward and so sometimes that's in the lycra no talking lights off and we just swing you no language no nothing no load just get you back to and for some other kids all you have to do is just go and you've pulled them back in it depends on the activity it depends on the relationship and then also um how much prosody or how quick do i speak Mm -hmm. how intense do i make my affective cueing or how soft So it's just so hard because some kids you'll go through the relationship piece and some kids you'll go through the movement, Mm. movement piece. And but all the time, all in every single one of those, it's always about whether Mm. it's more rhythmical and predictable or whether you're adding more novelty to any of those elements. Absolutely. And it's also why Mm. I think that, you know, the more arrhythmic and out of sorts the session is, the child is, the family is the more we need a tool sort of like the Step SI where we can say, I can tick through and say, what are my opportunities in terms of sensation here or task structure, Mm -hmm. environment, predictability is what we're talking about, but in each of those, in the way that I'm using my interactional style and my relationship and my ability to co-regulate and how is that related to that attain maintain challenge dimension and so learning how to use that tool really helps you especially in those moments where you're like wow this is imploding and I don't know what to do or gosh I really feel you're suffering here family and I would love to layer in some supports for you and so then really paying attention to what do they have in place what rhythm is available what what routine is available what predictability is available because we have to start from that base of predictability to build toward the a rhythm and if we're in chaos we have to get to predictability to even have a starting spot so the tools that we have can really help us to think through something that sometimes falls into the realm of, oh, I forgot to think about predictability here. (laughs) But then when we pull it forward, it's so rich and it's so Mm. essential to the way that any flexibility and any adaptability ever really, really gets cooking. Yeah, I think it provides a really lovely way to talk about it to a family to Tracy that really normalizes it and we all get a sense of you know that's how we started the conversation today it was like oh we're all a bit taxed at the moment because it can just be about a mismatch it's you know I I see lots of families or family in particular at the minute and there's just a mismatch in their rhythms and no one rhythm is more right than the other it's just that they're not matching quite yet and so it's just gonna it allows you to talk about you've got this rhythm and the little kiddo's got this rhythm and let's help you sync up together and find rhythm together. And it it means that everybody's needs are met Mm. and no one person's wrong or right. So I love that it's like, you know what, this is a human need and we've all got a rhythm that feels right for us and and if we're going to relate together and you know have a relationship together that we need to sync up um so that's what it also offers me a chance to talk about it in a really just a positive no blame no you know judgment kind of way matter of fact way and and really understandable it's not jargon there's not a lot Mm. of neuroscience stuff that we have to try to explain it's really clear and concrete and it's simple you can really tell when you're out of rhythm and out of routine and it really everybody has an mm-hmm. internal experience of that and so it's really yeah. easy to draw on that for anybody to then relate that to the child or the person whoever you know yeah, yeah it's so true it's also you know in a funny way in all of the tension of the world these days I notice it in driving and people are out of rhythm And I've made this commitment to say, I'm going to try to be as predictable and clear as I possibly can and offer that on the road as I 
as I cruise down as a way to say if I can find some rhythm and offer that to the world maybe that will help and I think you summarized that both of you it really just shows that rhythm predictability are sort of the way that we're all going to find our way forward and that we can offer that to each other so yeah so we should all (laughs) sway to a little music and be together in a little bit of rhythm and and just sort of find find some synchrony yeah maybe I'll do the same when I'm driving down the road too Tracy that seems like a real nice way to to be in the car All right, you two. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com, or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care, and we'll see you next time.